pick one or two things and, and become good at that before you allow yourself to get distracted. Welcome to the House Flipping HQ podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of houses a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the House Flipping HQ podcast. This is Bill Allen. And today I have a special guest with you, one of our seven-figure members and one of my favorite people in the group. It's so much fun kind of like talking to her and hanging out with her at the events and getting some of the feedback from her. It's uh, Amanda Howell. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, thanks for coming on the podcast with me today. I know that uh, we've been talking back and forth a little bit. I've been trying to bring some of the members onto the podcast. Recently, I've done uh, some of the board of directors that came on after I purchased the company. And then I just had a series where I did with my staff, so all of my management team. And um, then I just did one with uh, Ariane Lemire, where we talked about Flip Hacking Live in the past. So the past three or four years of, uh, or the past three years of Flip Hacking Live and what we got out of it and some of the things that we've been implementing in our businesses. And uh, then now it's you. So welcome. Yay. Okay. I'm glad to be here. All right. Uh, I'm glad to have you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Give us a little bit of a background on you, kind of um, where you're from, what you do, and uh, what your investment company looks like. Okay. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was a teacher for 21 years. Um, I taught government and history, and then I was a career and college counselor for a while, too. Um, I kind of did houses on the side to supplement my income just because it's pretty tough being a teacher in Oklahoma. And so I really enjoyed it and um, it allowed me to have a lot more freedom and, and, you know, financial freedom. And so eventually I made the switch over and decided to do this full time, which was a little bit crazy, especially coming from the world of education. You're so insulated and it's, it's so safe and like, it's, it's really easy to kind of be a high achiever and um, it's just completely different than the entrepreneurial world. So that was a big shift for me. But um, I have two kids, they're going into high school, and I really felt like I was spending more time with other people's kids than my own. And so that was a huge deciding factor for me to kind of make the switch over and be in control of my own time. So time is kind of my biggest motivator. Okay, so 21 years as a teacher, um, and you said you were doing houses on the side. So what does that mean? Um, like 2008, 2009, kind of after the, the bubble, it didn't really hit us as bad. It's kind of a depressed market in Tulsa, but I started picking up houses. And so I think within a couple of years, I had 10 that I had as rentals. And so by 2014, I had probably done 25 remodels. And then, um, with my husband at the time, we also purchased an 11 story building downtown. That was a historical building. Um, Bruce Goff, who's an architect who studied with Frank Lloyd Wright, had designed it. It's super cool. Um, people don't know this, but Tulsa is like the second Art Deco capital compared to Miami. So we have a ton of Art Deco architecture. And so it's a really cool building. Everybody thought we were crazy to buy it. It had been vacant for like 20 years. There were homeless people living in it. Like it was a drug hub for downtown. And there was actually a murder in it as well. And three fires over 20 years. And we bought it and cleaned it out. And um, it's absolutely beautiful now. The people that ended up, we, we didn't do the remodel ourselves. <clears throat> we actually went through a divorce during that time and he sold it. But um, the people that bought it kept our original 
renderings. And, and so they kind of implemented our vision, which was so crazy to see. Um, I just recently went just a couple weeks ago and it's awesome. But okay. So that's, that's so, okay. I want to back up a little bit. So you were, you were a teacher 2008. You saw the kind of crash happen. It's like same thing in Pensacola. We saw a little bit of a dip, but it's, it wasn't like, you know, LA, San Diego, uh, Miami, uh, the bigger markets, right. To see the huge changes. So, and, uh, we're starting to even kind of come up and we, we actually in Pensacola, it's kind of funny when the hurricane came through, we saw the prices of housing go like crazy, just way up. So, you know, so there's a lot of no supply. So everybody wanted a house rentals, people that, um, that bought then paid even more than the value is now. It's, it's really interesting to see. So, um, okay. So 2008, you bought some houses, you were, you got up to 10 rental properties. You said 25 houses a remodel. Was that renovating and reselling them? Was it renovating and keeping them as rentals or? It was a little bit of uh, both. A little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. And how did you kind of get into that? Were you just, Hey, I'm going to go try this on the side. It was like a side hustle. Did you only do it in the summer as a teacher? What did it look like for you? Um, so I had one whenever I moved with my kids when they were really little. And so I kept the very first home that I'd had my children with. And so I had one for years and years and years. And so just kind of managing that gave me a little bit of experience, just a little bit to be dangerous, you know, no, just a mm -hmm. little enough. And, um, at the time I was married and the, the guy that I was married to was very wealthy and he, um, I mean, I, he owned land basically that a casino was on. And so he would get these huge distributions. And I came from kind of a, a, a very modest background and being a teacher. And even before that, um, I just was kind of like scrappy. I got a scholarship to college. I've worked since the time I was 14. And so my value of money, I mean, I've told you before, like my scarcity meltdown, that's a real thing for me. Like it's really primal. And so here I was, I was married to somebody who was very affluent and he was just going through money like crazy. And so um, it scared me to death. Like he bought four boats in one month. And so I was like, how can I start, you know, getting income to come in. So I started reading a few books and looked at real estate and it was just a good time, you know, during that, that market dip for us. Um, so I bought all of those houses at foreclosure auction. And so yeah. just kind of learned that system. And then, um, we were not married very long, only about 18 months. And, um, whenever I got divorced, I just needed to get out. And so I let him keep everything. So at that time, I think when we got divorced, the portfolio was about 25 rentals and I had done all of those and then um, the the building that I was talking about and so I started over again and so I had to do it kind of one at a time and daisy chain it so I took the equity out of the one that I had had and got another house and then just kind of kept doing that until I was up to 10 rentals and so what that looked like I worked during the summer because I was a counselor and so I was actually on an 11-month contract and so I could just take four weeks throughout the year, like a day here, a day there. And it was, it was awful, honestly. Um, during the summer, our hours, we work Monday through Thursday. And so it was like 6 or 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And at the time, my kids were, you know, just getting ready to go into middle school. So that was a really tough adjustment. I just wasn't physically there for them. Um, and I was making just, I mean, it, it's just so sad. I think it was like $400, $500 a week or something with my teaching salary. So then I was managing these rentals and that was helping supplement the income. But I think probably I, when I got to 12, that was my tipping point where I was like, this is just getting too hard. 
to do both. So then I got a property manager that kind of helped out with that. And then I started doing flips. And so that took a lot more attention. So basically I wasn't good at anything anymore. I was like doing it, you know, halfway, being a halfway mom, halfway teacher, counselor, and then halfway, you know, real estate investor. And so it kind of just became like something had to give, something had to change. And I had an awesome career. I absolutely love what I got to do over the 21 years that I was there. I'm still in touch with a lot of my students. I mean, nobody gets to have the most amazing career that, that I got. I just, it was so fulfilling and rewarding, but it was also like when you're done, you're done and you're not good for kids at that point. And this has just been something so new and exciting and different. And so it's, um, I, I've become the student now, so that's I've I've learned a lot. Okay, so um, you were you built the rental portfolio, and then you just kind of like gave it away. You said, you know what, I want to get out of this relationship. The best way to do that is for, to just walk away. It sounds like. Um, yeah. So this is a story I hadn't heard actually. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to that you got uh, you got some experience. You had the opportunity to fix up some of those houses, rent it, and then you did it on your own. So I'm assuming that when you left that relationship, uh, from the sounds of it, you were working hard. You didn't have a lot of money. You uh, tried to figure out how to build this one house at a time to build up a rental portfolio. And you got to the point where you felt like you were just kind of scattered all over the place and needed focus. Yes, that's, that's it. So once, so, so what happened? Like you said, I started doing some flips. Like what pushed you to start doing that? Like how, what was the transition for you to start flipping houses when you were just buying rentals before? Well, I started talking to a lot of other investors that were going to foreclosure auction and that was an amazing, I mean, it was like a gravy train, you know, for a few years, that was awesome. I I could go in and buy two houses a month if I would have had the capital to, but, um, so I started talking to people and I was so risk averse that the flip, like it just, um, it was great when I had all this capital behind me with my ex-husband, but then whenever it was just me trying with my two kids and a single mom, that looked a lot different. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very, I've changed a lot, but at the time I was very measured and careful and conservative about things. And so I just would talk to people and I started hearing about the returns that they were making. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm, I'm making, you know, this over here with my rentals. And if I could just supplement and just do, you know, a couple of these a year. And so, um, the first one I did on my own, my sister and I did, which was a, a great learning experience too. Um, I kind of came from the frame of mind of, you know, faster is better. I didn't do any of the work myself just because I'm, that's not what I'm good at. And so she went in and like painted, it took her three weeks to paint. She's like, look at all the money I saved us. And I'm like, look at all the money you taught, you know, like we're sitting here waiting and we've missed, you know, crucial time on the market. And so kind of that, that was a great experience to have right off the bat because then it made me realize I don't want to work with partners. I want, I want to be in charge of this. And, um, so learned a lot on that house too, but so okay, that's, so you were doing a couple of those a year. When, when was that? So uh, give me the time. 2014, okay. 2014 started doing like what, uh, a couple flips a year, three, maybe three or four. And then, um, 2018, I guess that's last year, 2018. Yep. Okay. So I did, I did five remodels all of 2018. I did two rentals and five flips. Okay. So two rentals and five flips in 2018. And then, um, like the the first time that we met was just after, uh, like at flip hacking live really. And then just after, um, so you kind of joined seven figure flipping, um, with 
kind of got to know you and understood what you were doing. And you kind of came in like a, I don't know, maybe it's a cliche, like a wrecking ball into the group of like, I'm going to do this. And so what, how, how did you find like your way to flip hacking live? It sounds like you had some, you had some base experience. You had some of that, you were starting to do some flips and all that was coming together for you. Did you feel like you had it all figured out ahead of time? Like what? Not, not at all. Um, and it was such a fluke because I had really become skeptical. All these kind of like seminars will come into Tulsa. I mean, you can, you can tell like it gets harder and harder to get a house after Stan Merrill's been in town or whatever. And, and I'd gone to some of those and I was like, just, um, just like, oh gosh, what a waste. And so the way that I found Flip Hacking Live was actually Arian had done a post in Bigger Pockets. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just very, I wish I could find it, but it was just like really um, modest and, but talking about everything that she had learned. And just at the bottom, she had put like, you know, and thanks to Justin. And so I kind of went down the rabbit hole. So I Googled him and I started reading about it and I was like, wow, this is so different than the other things that I've gone to. And it, I mean, it's so unlike me to go to a workshop like that. Um, I called one of my good friends who's in a lot of masterminds and I signed up. I mean, it was like 11 or midnight or something. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just, I'm doing this. And I let her know. And she's like, you did what? Like, you're so, you, you just never buy into that sort of thing. And I'm like, no, this, I feel like this is different. I just really feel like a call or a pull to it. Then when I got there, I was like, what have I got myself into? These people are so awesome. And, and they're doing all this stuff. And I've done, you know, like my measly seven flips, but everybody was so nice and accommodating. And what I liked about it is, um, the audience was treated the same, whether they were like master flippers who were doing a hundred plus, or if they were beginners like me. And so that there was something there for everybody. And I know that you've kind of talked about having that same focus for this year, but I just thought that was amazing because everybody took something away from that experience, whether they were very sophisticated or just brand new. Like I must've asked the stupidest questions ever. Um, but I just was taking notes furiously every night I'd like read and it was just so energizing and it was the missing piece I feel like for me. And I didn't even know what I, I didn't know what I didn't know, if that makes sense. And it just allowed such a path to, to figure it out and just a map and a strategy. So it was, it was awesome. It was such a game, game changer for me. And I know that's kind of a cliche term too, but that's, that's what it was. Okay. So you, uh, it's funny. I interviewed Ariane, uh, just show her podcast will come out right before yours. So, um, so it, I think that was her post. If I remember right, it was probably the one about kind of her journey, like, uh, all the things that, that she's done over the past, like her and Chris have done over the past few years and mm-hmm. just talking about their growth. And, and then at the end, I think it said something like, uh, you know, Hey, this is the event that kind of changed things for us. And her and I talked about that on the last podcast, which is great. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that one, you can go back and listen to kind of Ariane and I talk about, um, flip hacking live and what brought her there and some of the different, um, things that we've both learned from the, to, from the interviews or from the presentations at that event. And so you, cause Ariane and I have both been to all of them. So we've been to all three and then, uh, she's speaking again this year at, at this one. And, um, so it's, it's exciting to go back in time. And I actually forgot some of the things that we had learned and, and people had presented on and that I've implemented in my business and have just changed the game for the, the bottom line of our company over the past few years. So 
so you read that post and there was just something that, and I, what I love about it, you said like there was a calling that you got to like, this is just kind of the right people that you wanted to align with. And that's the biggest thing that, that I want to get across here is I, I feel like we, what I really want to do is if you're listening to this and this is something that like, we're the kind of people that you want to hang out with and spend time with and learn from, then this is the event for you. If it's, if you want to, you know, a bunch of like exciting singing and dancing and things like that and get you really pumped up to go out and then leave an event and not be able to implement anything, then this is probably not the event for you. So I really want to continue to do that. I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we uh, share what we're doing and things like that, it's going to attract the right people to what we're doing. So, um, and obviously that was you. So you showed up, you came to the event, you, um, um, what, so did you come by yourself? Was it just you? 100% by myself. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So get on a plane. Okay. I'm going to just going to commit to this. I'm going to call my friend and say, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out there. And you, you came there. And so it sounds like you were networking with some of the people talking to them, like, you know, in between sessions and stuff like that and getting to know some of the people that just showed up and all great people. They're uh, just like you and me, they're down to earth. It's, um, it's a really cool event where I feel like there's a lot of really giving people, even in the audience, like you said, you have people that are doing a couple hundred, you got people that have never done a deal and the, just, you put the right people in the right room like that. And you just see explosive growth over the next year. It's just amazing to see. I've seen people go from, you know, in fact, you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I think so. My, um, the, uh, the guy that cuts my grass, him and his dad went last year and, um, so I gave, uh, I gave him, uh, so our nanny, the nanny for our kids, okay. uh, her brother cut our grass and he wanted to get into, into house flipping and things like that. And he was really excited by it. And so was our nanny, frankly. And so, um, I said, well, Hey, why don't you, uh, you know, I, I work for this company. Why don't you guys, uh, you know, check out some of the content and things like that. Listen to the podcast, jump in the Facebook groups and they did. And then I said, Hey, um, Jacob, if you, you know, well, I'm going to give you a ticket. If, if I give you a ticket to the event, will you come out and come to the event? And he said, yeah. He said, well, you know, I'm, I'm only like, I think he was like 16 or 17 at the time. He said, I can my dad come? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Bring your dad. And the two of them came and they came to Flip Hacking Live and they're, they're on their second flip right now here in Nashville. They bought two houses. They're working on them. And um, that's what their dad's doing full time now. And Jacob is helping and Mela, our nanny was helping too. So really cool to see that I mean, they were just asking me questions the whole time there. Every time they could get me on the side, they were like, hey, what should we do here? And um, all this stuff is really cool to see. And they've taken it and just grown from not knowing anything about it to coming to that event, you know, soaking up the information, getting motivated to go do it. And then they bought a house and they started working on it. They just, they are figuring it out along the way. So what do you feel like from Flip Hacking Live that you got that was kind of tangible to go out and, and, and maybe even before I ask this, why did you change? Like, why did you want to change where you were to where you wanted to go? And was that the catalyst or were you already there before that event? Um, I, so I was kind of a lone wolf. And one thing about being in education is there's a lot of professional development. You work with your colleagues a lot. There's a ton of collaboration. And so when I switched over and was just doing this by myself, it was a lot of freedom and I was doing well, but it was just, um, it wasn't dynamic. There wasn't collaboration. I wasn't part of a team and it was lacking and I couldn't really identify what it was lacking. And then whenever I went to Flip Hacking Live, it kind of it opened my eyes to the possibility. I didn't even dare to, to think that I could go this big. 
it just seemed like, oh, I'll just kind of muddle, muddle around and, and make a decent living and, and have freedom. But I mean, I have two kids getting ready to go to college. So this has become a little more urgent um, to, to have a better income. But really for me, it was, I wanted to be part of a team and I knew I could build something bigger than myself but I needed, I needed that content and that, that support to have the confidence to do it. Um, I just, it was a big kind of block for me. Like I, there's no way I can just go out and do this by myself. And then once I got there and just saw the incredible support and collaboration and I'm a tough audience as a teacher, um, like, and I've given this feedback, like Annie McFarland's an awesome teacher. You know, you guys are great teachers. And so actionable steps are so important and that's what's so great about this event is it's not a bunch of fluff it's not you know these are actionable steps that you can take and you can go in so many different directions and you can have support one of the my favorite stories from flip hacking live was um after adam spoke so like we would go down to the tables you know and and you got to you know one kind of expert was at a table and so i got down there and i'm sitting at this table with a little name placard for adam ray and I'm just the only one there. And he walks up and he's like, are you at the right table? And I'm like, yes, I need help because my taxes the year before, like I paid $38,000 in taxes with his like case segregation studies and his help this year, which I haven't even talked to him yet to tell him this, but I'm getting a refund of $31,000 back. And I mean, it's amazing to me. That is such a game changer. And it was just from one session. I mean, it was like a 20 minute session and that's the impact it had on my bottom line. And it was something that was so tangible for me. And that's probably like just a tiny thing that I took away from the event. Okay. So we can't just really drop this and move on. So what you're talking about is cost segregation for single family uh, houses. So if you buy a house, uh, residential, uh, you can do it for, we do it for like large apartment complexes all the time, but the cost seg for a, a individual house has become a, something that we can bonus depreciate on year one in full. So um, you have, if let's just say you have 12, 13 rentals uh, on average, a lot of people are getting somewhere between anywhere from like 15, to 30 some percent of what they paid for it, plus all the renovation costs off of their tax um, um, in full effectively. Yes. So bonus depreciation for single family rentals. And what we've done is we've been able to find a cost effective way to do those cost segregations. So in the past, you do one for a large apartment complex, it's a couple thousand dollars, it makes sense. But when you're, you have a $100,000 house and you're getting $20,000 off on your taxes, paying two or $3,000 for something like that may not make the most sense. It could, um, but for us, we've been able to find a, a cost effective way to do that in the couple hundred dollar range. So that's uh, what we talked about last year and a lot of us are doing that. I have, it's funny because people might think that you have to do it. Oh, and by the way, I am not a CPA. I'm not a, a tax attorney, anything like that. I don't work for the IRS. So um, take this for a grain of salt for what it's worth. But you, um, um, it doesn't have to be like you could have owned the house for five years or 10 years and you can do a cost segregation now in, in the year that you do it. You can do this cost segregation study and not use it this year. You could use it next year. So there's a lot of different dynamic things that you can do with your taxes. A lot of stuff that we talk about in the mastermind group to uh, figure out not just like what we make, but what we keep. Like that's the most important right. thing, right? So I'm, I'm on the same boat as you. I'm doing the same thing. I, I actually bought a vacation rental this year. It was a very expensive house. And part of what I'm doing is building in that um, that tax reduction 
win for me. And we're also building some storage units down in Orlando, you know, 1800 storage units, huge tax uh, savings for me and cost segregation studies and stuff. So really cool stuff. Adam kind of did a lot of upfront research, put it on everybody's radar last year. It was really exciting stuff and has saved people, you know, tens, 20, even 30, $100,000. So um, really cool stuff. So um, that's the kind of stuff that we talk about, like what's current. And last year it was the, the new tax bill, you know, that was current and trying to figure out how to make sure that we, and then now that we're thinking about it, like, should we, maybe we should buy this rental instead of wholesale this house or flip this one. Maybe we should keep it. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to the things that we do, especially with our, uh, our future and what we want to do um, going down the road. So you were a, you were teaching. Were you te- did, did you just leave your teaching job? Did you still have your teaching job when you came to Flipback Live, or had you just left it? What was that? I had just left in June of that same, so last year, June, and then Flipbacking Live, of course, was in October. So Okay, so knowing that you left your job, you were going to do this full-time, this was your plan to do, go full-time, and you kind of were probably doing, it sounds like you're doing some research, came across this um, this post, uh, did some more research of your own, figured out this is the real deal, came to the event. And so what's, what have things been like since that event? So um, how, has, how have things changed for you? What does it look like now? Um, so I, I came back, well, first of all, just even as I was leaving there, like it, it didn't, you know, a lot of times you have a letdown, but that wasn't the case. Like I was completely energized. And the, the last night that I was there, I was like registering my LLC and getting a Facebook page and domain. And like, I, I was just ready to do this. Um, and so when I came back, I had, there's so many mistakes. This is kind of one of them, but I had like this open recruiting event and a title company sponsored it. So my, my teacher brain was like, Oh, you know, I want everybody to be a part of this. And, and I want to bring my friends and family along on this journey and sure I can find a place for them. And that has proven to be just like a horrible mistake. Um, which was just a painfully slow, arduous lesson that I had to be taught. But I'm, I'm glad for the lesson because it taught me to value the company um, and to, to have boundaries with it. So I, I came back and kind of like, oh, yeah, let's, let's do this and um, recruited kind of like five people that were, I wasn't quite sure where they were going to fit. And it was, I mean, it was crazy because I was telling them, like, you, it's going to be commission only. Like, you're not going to make anything. And they just kept showing up. Um, and so we kind of would build this. I did have one person who was kind of like an assistant office manager, property manager. She wore a lot of hats. And, um, so this group, we would kind of meet and it gave me a chance to, to be my teacher self and and train them. And we went really slow. And I told, I was like, we're really not going to launch. I'm not going to do my first mailers till like February. And so we were still, I just bought a house And so I was kind of walking them through the process and trying to get them trained, which by the way, only two of those people are still with me now. And again, it's part-time. I mean, they have full-time jobs and this is, you know, it's commission only. And so anyway, it was a lot of like trying to get systems in place, which whenever you ask what's the biggest takeaway, that's it. I mean, that's it in a single sentence is to, to have systems in place and to make sure that everything is automated as much as you can and that you have a systematic approach to everything that you're doing, every facet of it, whether it's the the project manager role or, um, you know, marketing or sales calls. And and I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm just building systems, but I can see it. I mean, I can see it in other people who've been successful. I can see how it's impacting what we're doing and just how much easier it is once you take the time to have the system in place. So, um, we did our first mailers, like in February 
And I don't know if you heard this story or not, but um, basically my mail wasn't getting dropped. Um, so I was paying for it. It was a local firm and um, they were just periodically, I mean, there's just, my phone wasn't ringing. We were getting, I, I just thought I'm the biggest failure at this. I can't believe that um, we're not getting any calls. And it was actually, um, we, we got a new mail house after that, but I was talking about my numbers in, in Boston at the last event in February, March, April, and just the whole room, like 35 people, their whole, their faces were just like, just completely dropped. And I was like, what's happening And they're Like, there's no way your mail was getting dropped. I mean, th you should have had this percentage of calls. And when we went back and looked, once we changed mail houses and, and we were paying for our postage separately, but I mean, that's, that's colossal. Like what a huge mistake that I didn't, I wasn't monitoring it or I didn't even know that, that that was a possibility that that could happen. And I just thought, gosh, our phones aren't ringing. And so it was actually kind of a relief whenever I started looking, you know, whenever they were kind of giving me breakdowns of like, you know, if you're sending out this much, then your phone should ring this much. And, and that was what had started happening. And so, um, so tracking the numbers is key, right? Being, uh, being involved, like watching, yeah. uh, you're, uh, what I found in the beginning, you know, a lot of it was like, I'm just going to go, 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 like shoot from the hip, do these things. What did you want to call this a uh, podcast? You had, uh, you, you like uh, came up with a name. What was it? Mistakes are the best teachers. Um, yeah. Mistakes are the best teachers and a teacher turned flipper. Teacher turned flipper and uh, mistakes are the best teachers. So something like that. I said, this is awesome. Like I really want to share. And so I want to spend the rest of the time really kind of talking through some of those things, like some of the mistakes that you made, some of the lessons that you learned, because I think that's a lot of, because look, I'm, I'm in the same boat. It's happened to me. I've done this exact same thing. So we're not all perfect. Nothing that we do. Um, uh, can't, we can't learn from it. We can't always get better at what we're doing. So I want to, I want to take some time because you, you mentioned a few things that like resonate with me. So it, when I, when I got going, I, I didn't check the phone number one time close enough and it would, the two digits were off by, they were just swapped. So yeah. it was like, I don't know, it was the last four were like three, four, one, four instead of three, four, <laughs> four, one. And I sent out like $10,000 a mail. Like it wasn't just a small mistake. It was a huge mistake. and It was my fault, not their fault. And I've had a couple other times where they switched the number, um, you know, by accident. So it wasn't me. The proof was right. But when the when it went to print, it got swapped and the mail house will correct for that. They, but I'll tell you what, I got really pissed off callers because I, they got a card for me, like, I don't know, four days apart. Right. And we never would have known unless somebody called. So like, how do you know that? And so I guess if you got your return mail, you started looking at it and you, then you notice that the number's off. But if I didn't notice before, how was I going to notice then? So we had someone actually call us and say, Hey, I got your number off your website. Do you know that this number is going to a, a number that doesn't exist? And so then we looked into it and found it pretty quick uh -huh. because I mean, but what's the likelihood of somebody like taking your mail piece, calling the number, getting a and, and then calling, finding you, calling you and saying, Hey, in case you were wondering your phone number, like that person talk about the most motivated seller of all times. Exactly. It's that person. Right. So, um, so that's a mistake that's made a lot. I see like, especially with direct mail and, and having the wrong phone number or the wrong, uh, we, we had another time where, um, it's all variable data 
that they send in direct mail. So when you send, and I highly recommend you guys use variable data if you're not, and if you don't know what that is, um, real quick, it means your spreadsheet has got uh, the name of the person, the address, uh, the, uh, the mailing address, and the address of the house. So it'll say, Dear John, I want to buy your house at 123 Main Street instead of like, hello, I buy houses in your area. I want to buy more. It's a more personalized message. It's saying that I want to buy this exact house. You're, this is your name. It's addressed the seller on there. It says it's a little bit more expensive potentially from time to time, but most mail houses will do variable data. And so what we had was we had it where it was one line off. So the name was right, but the address was wrong. So the people that are getting it are calling me going, I don't have this house or this, you have the wrong name on here and this is my house, but not my name. So it yeah. was just, we've had so many disastrous uh, things happen. So being really careful and really uh, like detailed when you check those things and the proofs, don't gloss over that stuff. I'm telling you, like one of the most important jobs in my company right now is approving the, the proofs for $30,000 of direct mail per month. So look at that stuff, guys. So um, okay. So what are some other lessons that you feel like you've learned from like since that actually before I ask that question, what, like, what are you doing now? Like, what does your company look like? What kind of, like you, you were doing, you did five flips the year before you did two rentals. What does it look like now? Like who, who am I talking to? So I, I think we've done, I, I mean, and I, again, I've got to track my numbers better, but I think we're at about around 26 or 27 deals for the year. And so, um, we do have two Airbnbs. Like I forget the two, I have two Airbnbs. We're up to seven rentals and then, um, some wholesales, which I'd never done wholesales either. I actually, we did our first wholesale whenever we were in Keystone. Um, my dispositions guy called me and I had no idea how easy it was. Like I, I just, I, I had a block. I didn't really understand it. And I know this about myself. Like sometimes I won't ask questions if I'm intimidated or it doesn't come easily to me. And that's been a shift for me just personally and professionally with this group is you've got to ask questions. And so, um, that that's been a game changer is doing wholesales for sure. We were also operating out of like my 10 by nine little garage apartment. And I had my, my office manager in there and then we had kind of like an assistant she did everything from like, go check the properties, make sure they're mowed and they're clean for showings and kind of like a girl Friday. And we were in this tiny little, um, garage apartment and they just kept coming to work. It just astonished me. Like we didn't even have, you know, like we had a little air conditioner thing here that Oklahoma summers get really hot. So, um, and they stuck with me and we ended up getting an office just because, um, we found a really great deal. It has a warehouse and we also have weekly sales meetings. And I know it was a struggle for me to be at home and at work. Like I didn't know you, you mentioned something about your dogs before the podcast. Like I would go in and, and feed the dogs and get distracted or, you know what I mean? I, I wasn't, I wasn't wearing the work hat like I should have been. And so it's been great to be in a space and we have a lot of room. And so we're able to like keep some of our materials. We're ordering more in bulk, things like that. And so that's been a game changer, but I can't believe these crazy people went on this ride with me and just like stuck it out in this tiny little room, but they well, did. I'll tell you, I think that's the, that's, it's a testament to who the leader is. So I remember when I started my company and it was similar to your story. I didn't have nearly the background in um, some of like the, the number of uh, rental houses that I had or the number of flips that I'd done and stuff like that. But I had done a couple, but when I started my business, I knew that I've seen other people do it. Like you said, I, I, I joined seven figure flipping from 
doing one deal to joining there. And then I saw everybody else and what they were capable of. And so on the, on the shoulders of those guys like, and gals, basically like saying, Hey, I have access to all these people. I can get these answers to these questions. I had confidence. It built confidence in me. And then I could go into these interviews with people and say, look, um, I just have to inspire them. I have to convince them effectively to come on this ride with me. And when I can get them on the ride, I know that we'll, if they're successful, I know that we'll be successful because I know that I'm going to be successful. So, um, you know, with their help, I know the plan for them, what their position looks like, because it's all come before me. I I've seen it. I have the kind of the, the path laid out for me and I can bring them in and with confidence and not necessarily confidence that they're going to make the money. Like you said, I'm not sure. Hey guys, uh, this is a startup, right? This is a new venture, but I'm confident that I'm going to make it work and I'm going to figure out how, and I have the support behind me where I can have that confidence. And that's how I felt. And it sounds like in a very similar way, uh, you know, most of those people, almost all of them, frankly, that were there in the beginning with me, aren't there with me now. Um, the company's just gotten bigger. It's kind of grown outside of them. They've changed, they've grown in a different direction and that's fine. Like I, right now, my whole goal is to make sure that my people are successful and that's what I want. And all you guys are successful, of course. So, um, in that, so, okay, the, the business looks like that. You've got a couple Airbnbs. A lot of times, like you said, we forget a lot of that stuff. We forget all the, all the extras, all the benefits, all the other things that we're doing. And we're just focused on numbers and how big are we getting and how much more can we do, um, as these kind of driven individuals, what are some other kind of mistakes that you've made that you feel like you can learn from? Well, speaking of the Airbnbs, um, that, was such a distraction. Like I never should have done that. Um, we opened ours like in June. Um, we had seven other remodels going like there, it, it was so like so many times in the sessions, I'll, I'll hear you guys talk about like, you know, master one thing, then going to the next thing. Well, again, like here, my old boss used to say, I only have one tool in my toolbox and it's a hammer. So it's kind of similar to the wrecking ball thing. So, um, I definitely would not recommend doing that. I mean, it's successful now, but it was just such a distraction um, from what we should have been focusing on. And it was also a drain on our resources. And so that's, I would say, you know, pick one or two things and, and become good at that before you allow yourself to get distracted. Um, the other thing is, and I've talked with you a little bit about this, but I hired a project manager, somebody who had been with me for nine years off and on, and he's great. However, he's not, he's a great contractor. He's not a great project manager. And so, at the time, you know, he was in charge of five remodels going on in June and we were going to do like one at a time and see how it went, but it just turned up, you know, we just ended up kind of in this great situation where we had a lot of flips going and it was just so interesting to see, like there were so many mistakes made. Like I, I had systems in place and I had kind of, kind of gotten my thing down to a six week flip and that's the teacher in me, you know, like just all lined out, not like, not like Stephanie Better's organized, but, but pretty, pretty organized. And, um, it was interesting because he lacked that, that organization. And he also didn't see things as a home buyer. And so like he, a lot of the times I think had the attitude of like, Oh, that's okay. Cause he knew structurally it was okay. Or he knew it was okay from the standpoint that it wasn't a problem, but you know, home buyers coming in, see something that's not, you know, they don't know that it's going to be structurally sound or they don't know that that that's going to be okay. And so we had, we had a lot of issues and I was going to have to let him go, but he actually came to me and he said, you know, I just, I can't handle the pressure of the timelines. He's like, I'm so in awe of you. I've worked with you for years. Um, he said, I just can't handle it. 
and I said, okay, I kind of anticipated this was coming. And, and he was like, well, I, I kind of figured you're gonna let me go. I'm just, I'm not good at this. Like, I can't see the whole picture. And so it's funny because he's still working for us in his appropriate slot where he's a value add. I mean, he is an asset in some places. It's just, I put him in the wrong position. And so, and everybody has said kind of in the group that I've heard, you know, let him do one, see how that goes. So now I'm kind of back, back into that. We just closed or just signed a contract this weekend on an awesome house. It's a historic project. And so um, I'm going back to a project manager that had, that I used years ago. And so we're going to do one and see how that goes. So I think with the, with a lot of these, you've got somebody who is really good in the seat of what they do, whether it's a general contractor, a subcontractor, something like that. And you, you see the value that they bring, you see how good they are at what they're doing. And if you're flipping houses, you say, wow, this person can really help me. Like they do such a great job and you don't realize your impact and your influence on the job that they're doing. And when you're checking on them and helping them with the scope of work and creating all of those things in the budget and, and making sure they're on budget and meeting with them. And when you remove that and that leadership and that, that management uh, and you let them effectively run their own business inside of your business, that's where you struggle. So when you say he's not a very good property man, a project manager, he's really just like not a good business owner probably. You know, he's probably really good at, you know, clocking in, clocking out, getting the work done. And what I find when we're renovating houses is we've got to look, like you said, at that house like a realtor and a buyer does. Where a contractor looks at it like the job's done, check, like next. And you're going like, uh, I mean, you told me there was carpet on top of a air conditioner register. Like, yeah. okay, that just can't happen. And when, when you're, it's almost like what I find with contractors is like their punch list is like a contractor punch list. I need a realtor punch list or a, a buyer punch list. Like I need to make sure that we're walking through like it's a showing of a house and they're looking like, cause the stuff that the contractor cares about that's done, most buyers don't care about. A lot of times it's, it could be the easiest, cheapest fix that's going to make their decision of whether they buy the house or not, because all they'd look at is this is a flip. This corner was cut right here. What else did I miss? Like exactly. what else did they do that's behind the scenes when all that stuff is really good, but it's just that like one little hole in the wall or it's that one little touch up or that's, it's the paint splatter somewhere. It's the, it's the details that, that buyers care more about than actually like the bones and the basic, like, unless it's a big issue. So I had the same thing. We had the same thing. I had uh, project managers that were great contractors that I brought in and I said, okay, let's go give them like 12, 15 houses a year. Let's just let them go loose. And then, you know, I, I didn't even live there in Florida when they were doing that. So I would get the offer or we would have something on the market. We get a bunch of showings and just no offers. I say like, what's going on? I would go down there, walk through the house and go, they, they didn't even finish this thing. Like it's not even done. It's embarrassing. So really I've, what I've realized is you've got to have somebody, if, if it is a, a contractor, it's got to be somebody who understands what the buyer's looking for or the realtor or somebody on your team that has that eye for detail needs to walk through with them because they're just like, yeah, that's, they're looking past it. They've been in that house probably nonstop for six weeks. So they just say, oh yeah, that's just the way, it, that's the way it is, the way it has been, all this stuff. So um, really like finding somebody that's detail oriented is the biggest thing. If you're going to bring on a project manager or somebody to manage. And like you said, give them one house at a time, like give them one. Cause what I find a lot of times is they get, they get easily overwhelmed. They can do one or two really well. And you think that they think like you, like they can scale their mind and their capacity to 10 and juggle all those things, but they can't. 
And, and maybe they can. The only thing is you won't know until they hit that kind of limit and they won't tell you when they redline and hit capacity. And it happens for not just a contractor, but anybody in, in your staff and in your company there, we all have our limits, right? Sure. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I've, look, I've been on the receiving end of all of this stuff. So what's cool about, uh, about what we do, I think is, you know, that you're not alone in this. And from an ideal standpoint, you're like asking these questions and bringing it up before it happens. Right. But I think the people that we are, the problem that we run into a lot of times is we have like way more gas than break. So we're just going, 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 making decisions. And then we go, oh no, this is happening to me. And I didn't even realize it was happening. I didn't know. So right. now, now you're raising your hand saying I got a problem and we're like, I don't know. It's, it's almost like we're at a, some sort of like rehabbers anonymous meeting where we're sitting around going, oh yeah, I remember when, uh, when that happened to me, uh, I've been in that same boat together. Yeah, definitely. So at least there's a company in the misery, but if, if ideally what we want is uh, we figure out how to, you know, uh, meet that at the pass. Um, so what I'm going to say to you is if there's anything that you're planning on doing in the next three months, make sure that you post it in the Facebook group or ask us about it and say, Hey, is this a good idea? Because there's, there's a ton of experience in there. Right. And that's, that's one thing that I want to bring to flip hacking live too. And some of the presentations that we do and some of the videos that I make and stuff like that is, is how can we make sure that we're, we're saving people money before they go spend it. Like the, the whole thing is not just how do you find more houses? How do you, how do you flip a lot more? It's like, how do we cut the corners or save the mistakes? And sometimes we have to learn them. Like sometimes we're super hard headed and I know I am, I've made a, a lot of mistakes. I've learned a lot of lessons. Some of them have been really expensive, um, but I won't make them again. And um, I think, I feel like I got, I got the same, a very similar um, direction as you did. I was just like asking the questions and constantly like, you know, I remember one of the times for you where you just hit this like wall and you were like, oh, oh my gosh, like I, like, or do you mind sharing some of that? Because I think it might help. And it doesn't have to be like the, any personal oh, side or anything, fine. but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was a full, like it was early on too. It was just a full, and when I look back now, I've had kind of, I've been in really tight spots that were similar to that. I think it was like January or February is before I'd really even, really even started doing mailing and marketing. And I just kind of had, I just got paralyzed. I just got stuck and I was trying to do too much at once. And then, um, and then I kind of like, I don't know, I would, I put pressure on myself where I would ask a question in the Facebook group and this is so embarrassing to admit, but then I'd go back and like delete it because I was embarrassed that nobody answered or whatever. And I just felt so inadequate. And so whenever we talked about flip hacking live and I said systems, you know, the other thing is just mindset. It's just so huge. And so here I am in the winter, um, getting ready to go to scale. And I just completely like basically had a nervous breakdown, little mini one, I guess. Um, where I just completely lost my confidence. I wasn't sure of anything. I thought maybe it was a waste of money. Um, and I remember when that happened, like I kind of lashed out at you, like I sent this email and I was like, you know, what's the value of this and what are you guys even providing? And, and, um, what does this mean? And you were just so diplomatic. It's like, you're like, this is not my first rodeo. I've seen people maybe break down a few times and just very diplomatic and guided. Like, here are the tools, you've got this. And, and I think that's so equally important for this group is that support of, of just saying like, it's going to be okay. Like you've got everything you need. It's going to be okay. And so 
that was huge for me because it was such a crisis of confidence that I was ready to almost kind of, and it was probably some self-sabotage too, you know, like I was close to, to really doing some great things. And so I kind of freaked out a little bit and, but it was definitely the group that got me back on track. And, you know, we talked about kind of like a path and a roadmap, but it, it really is. I mean, it's just, um, all the information's there, all the tools are there. And so it's just applying them and using them and, and using those resources, I think. So what do you think that you needed at that time? Like, I, there's probably somebody listening who's like, you know what? I hear all these people that are successful and it happens overnight and they have something that I don't have, or they're in a position that I'm not in, or, you know, all of this garbage that goes through their mind, right? All of this, well, their life is perfect. Mine isn't like, what do you, like you were in a place where you felt like, okay, I'm I, like, I can't do this or this is this, like, I'm hitting a, I'm hitting a wall. I'm just, I'm ready to quit. Like, and I'm just going to um, say, you know, it's, it's, it's you, it's, it's not, it's not what I'm doing. It's, it's, let's blame it on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what do you think that, like, what did you need then? And like, what, what would you say to somebody who's in that place right now? Like they're hitting this kind of analysis paralysis. They, they think this is great. Uh, everybody else can have this, but they can't. I think a lot of it is just, which is a, a message that you, you guys put out there a lot, which I appreciate is just like, we've all been there before. And this is a, um, it's a journey, you know, it, it, there's going to be these roadblocks and you can do it um, to just persevere and not quit and that you're going to have days like this and that that's okay. And I think for me being a perfectionist and a control freak, that was really hard for me. But kind of once I got over that first one and there, believe me, there've been episodes since, but I know I can do it. And it used to be, I mean, I I was really ready to just kind of get in the fetal position and be like, okay, just kidding. Maybe I'll go back to teaching. So um, I think it's, it's just those messages of support, like, Hey, we've all been there. Um, You know, you got this and, and you can do it. I, I feel like that, that is helpful and being vulnerable, which I think is really important because sometimes, which the group is there to celebrate successes and there are plenty to celebrate and it's fun. And, and it's kind of nice because some people in, out in my social group, like they don't get it. Like if I land two contracts in one day or something and I'm super stoked, like they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Good job. But um, there's that camaraderie. And so it's great to celebrate those, but it's also great to be vulnerable. And I'm just, I'm over it. Like that's why I'm willing to talk about the mistakes I've made. I'm just raw as far as like, I've learned from every one of them. So they're not, they're not problems. I do need to slow down <laughs> to where I'm not like having so many teachers of mistakes in my life, but um, that it's okay that, you know, it's okay to fail and that you're going to, it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, I think the biggest thing is we've been there before, but we're also going to be there again. Like I know that I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to need support and I'm going to make another mistake and, and I'm going to, I'm going to need somebody like, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened in my life recently that have been mistakes that I made a year or two ago and I'm still having to deal with it now. And I'm getting the support of my network and the people in the group and, uh, and reaching out to lots of people that I know and I've met along the way. I mean, just recently I had a loan down in, uh, in Texas that I had to take the house back and I had to sell it. And somebody who was, you know, in the group, who's a great friend of mine, 
and she helped me get, sell it. And I lost money, but I didn't lose nearly as much as I would have if I didn't have a network and a support system. And it's really just, it's really just great to have these kind of people that wrap around you in times of need and in good times too. You know, um, I just made a post of a video in the group of, Hey, we need to be uh, vulnerable and we need to be, um, authentic. You know, we need to really share our wins and our struggles. Because, you know, that's what this is about. That's what this, that's what it's all about is like making sure, like, how can we help each other, uh, you know, get to, get to new heights, get to, uh, get higher and higher and higher up in our business by working together and making sure that we don't make the same mistakes that somebody else made. Like, let me pay for those mistakes. Let somebody else that has a bigger business made more money. <laughs> there goes my dog. So, um, make those mistakes so we don't have to, you know, and we don't have to be there, you know, losing money when we can plan ahead. Well, and another component of the group that I think everybody takes for granted or doesn't realize is just that we get to help people too. And so, I mean, I had a situation where I had a contractor whose sister committed suicide in Houston and I just put a, and she had a house and it was a huge deal and he just didn't really have the capacity to follow through on anything. And I put a post up and immediately Chris and Jamie Bounds like reached out to me. They got it all taken care of. They took care of him, walked him through the process. And it was just, it was effortless. I mean, it was just, and they helped this guy out. Um, I had another situation where there was a woman who was moving to Joplin to be closer to her daughter and, and Jennifer, who's in the group. Um, she got accepted into her nursing home, but they said she'd been waiting like nine months or something. And they said, oh, well, you can't own a house. And so Jennifer got put them in touch with me. We signed a contract that day. She got to keep her house and move in. And so I think that that is so normal to this group that they don't even realize how special it is. And, and I think it's one of the things that makes it unique. It, it, those are the people you want in your corner. These are people that have integrity, they share the same values. And so I think that that's a huge part of it, that, that maybe we don't even talk about that much, but, but I really appreciate it for sure. Absolutely. It's just like a huge network of real estate investors that you know that you can go to for support for um, that that share your values with integrity. Like you said, it's just, it's really cool to be a part of it. And that's like, those are the kind of people that I want to, uh, to attract. Those are the kind of people I want to put at, at Flip Hacking Live that we want to give back to. Like we want to, we want to give all of these things that we learned, these lessons, the support to them. So, uh, cool. We could be here all day, probably sharing stories of things that we shouldn't do again, that we did that were mistakes. And, and I love it. I love the fact that What's that? I said, I'll have more too. Oh yeah. Well, Hey, you know what? In, October, uh, I mean, like, that's what I'm going to say. In like seven or eight months, we'll just make a bunch of mistakes and we'll be able to share them from stage. So last year, um, you came to Flip Hacking Live for the first time by yourself, um, on your own, just networking with people. This year you're coming back with like a huge support network, all your friends, you're going to be there ahead of time, um, at the seven figure event. And then, um, I asked you if you wanted to come on stage this year and you were like, uh, no at first. And then like, yes, I absolutely absolutely do. So, um, so you're going to be there and you're going to be on the stage with me. Yes. Yep. Awesome. And I'm, so, yeah. Thrilled. You're thrilled. Is your uh, office manager going to be there? Yes. And, uh, we kind of had a con contra a contest, um, whoever closed the most contracts like in an eight week period. And so my, my girl who closed the most, she's going to, Oh, cool. I wanted to know if your office manager was going because before this podcast, you said that she was making fun of you, um, that you were a little bit nervous. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like at, uh, in San Diego when you might, maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll be a little more nervous. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It's weird because like, um, from, you know, I mean, I present in front of 2000 people as a teacher and an educator, but that was my world for so long. And then, um, in this situation, it's interesting because 
I mean, yes, I have something of value to share, but everybody in that room does. And so I think that's maybe a little while why I was more intimidated or reluctant, but um, that's what's great about the group is everyone there has something of value to share. So. hundred percent. And I'll tell you, I, I feel like when I know what I'm talking about and I'm the expert, I feel so much more confident, you know, and you know, when we are talking about us telling our story, things like that, like there's nobody in the audience that knows it better than you. So um, you're going to kill it and I'm excited to see you. So listen, if you guys want to hear um, more from Amanda, more from me, more from all the speakers that we brought on, all the different uh, people we brought on the podcast over the past few weeks and uh, in the coming weeks, then come visit us at Flipbacking Live. Uh, really like to see you there. If, if what we're saying resonates with you and the integrity side of things, the kind of values that we bring, this um, hardworking uh, um, kind of personal and professional development is in your core, then come, come visit with us, come to San Diego. I know it'll change your life. It'll change your business. You'll, you'll pick up some things. Uh, who knows? Maybe you'll go from paying $35,000 a year in taxes to getting $30,000 back on your taxes the next year. So if we can save you like 65, $66,000 on your tax from year one to year two, I would say that your ticket price is probably paid for, um, I don't know, a thousand times over. So, um, Okay, so October 10th through the 12th in San Diego, we're at the Hilton Bayfront right there, downtown, right by the gas lamp. Um, get your ticket if you haven't already. And the hotel, I think our hotel block is uh, is, is filling up, um, so it won't be long. You, you got to stay at the hotel. So if you're there, stay at the hotel, network with us, you know, bump in, sit down with Amanda, um, let her hang out with you and, and tell you some more stories about some other uh, uh, great things that she's done in the past and some things she wished she didn't do, um, and, and me too. So. Uh, okay, October 10th through the 12th, San Diego, Hilton Bayfront Resort. Uh, you can go to fliphackinglive.com, get your tickets. We will sell out. I promise you that. I just don't know when. So don't delay. Get your tickets. And I'm excited to see you there. Amanda, I will see you in a couple weeks. I'm really excited. I can't wait. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, thanks for coming on today. I had fun. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the House Flipping HQ podcast with Bill Allen. If you haven't gotten your tickets to Flip Hacking Live to see our guests live on stage sharing all of their systems and secrets, make sure you go to fliphackinglive.com before tickets are sold out. This is an event you can't miss. We'll see you in San Diego.